Poso maoni work, wai wainan kitana ni mua e yoski pietaya posnotaman e yum MITW podcast. A yospis pietaya posnapi notaman and e hisikimaka e yoso matnamineho kihi. To the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. I'm your host, Sheena Wapus. On this episode, I'm again joined by our guest, Vaughn Bowles. He's the public information officer for the Incident Command Center for the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin. And he is here to give us another update on COVID 19 and the tribe's response. Welcome, Vaughn. Hey, Sheena. I uh, was reading uh, an article yesterday that was in the Washington Post. And they were talking about the vaccine for coronavirus and how um, this could possibly become an endemic. Um, so um, basically, can you explain what that is? Sure, sure. That's, that's a good place to start. So when something is endemic, uh, especially a disease condition, it just means that it's found regularly in a certain area or among a group of people, um, and it kind of becomes a common part of the environment. So they were comparing this to something like the common cold. Right, that would be right. And the common cold is definitely endemic. Mm-hmm. The flu virus is endemic. Um, it's not unreasonable to think that COVID-19 um, isn't going to become an endemic. It's another form of a coronavirus. Um, you know, it spreads fairly easily. Uh, and so it, it's not a stretch to think that it might be an endemic part of the environment. And, and it's not a big deal either. It's, it's, it's not something that we should fear. Um, we just need to be uh, kind of aware of that. Now, the CDC has, has taken a you know, wider look at things. Um, they revised the mortality rate down to about 0.4%. So right in, right in the, the ballpark of things like the flu and the common cold. A little higher, a little higher. Um, that may be in part because uh, no one has immunity to it yet. So, uh, you know, seniors and those who are immunocompromised need to be uh, aware of that. Um, but, you know, eventually we're going to reach a herd immunity, um, which, you know, means 80 or 90 95% of our population is going to become immune to it. This may be because they either get it at one point and they develop their own antibodies or they come out with a vaccine and, um, you know, they can get vaccinated. And the vaccine, for all we know, it might be like the flu shot every year. Mm-hmm. You know, you get one every year. There are different strains of it. They've found, you know, COVID-19 does mutate um fairly rapidly um and so it might be something that you need to update every year but you know it's it's not something you should you know tremble in fear over you shouldn't stop living and you know barricade yourself in and become a hermit just be aware of it Mm -hmm. so would that mean that in the future things like social distancing and that sort of thing would have to continue to stay in place for a very long time so timetables are kind of funny, um, especially when you're dealing with science. And there are, you know, the timetable is one thing we don't know yet. Viruses are, are pretty tricky to grow in a lab in a lot of cases, um, especially RNA viruses, which is what COVID-19 is. Um, and so timing of things is, is hard to determine. Um, 
you know, we might be social distancing for a while and that's okay because, you know, eventually, like I said, the majority of people will have some sort of immunity for it. Um, and in which case, you know, we might be going back to normal. Um, but it's hard to say how long that's going to take. Right. Um, so you mentioned the antibodies, um, and there's been some questions in the community around antibody tests. And can you explain what the purpose of those tests are or what they are? So, <laughs> yeah, so there are various types of antibody tests. Um, what they what they show you is that at one point in time, your body has contracted the, a specific virus, COVID-19, the flu, um, whatnot, and as as a result, it's built um, antibodies, which are essentially these little Y-formed chains that hook onto viruses that prevent them from going into your cells. What that means practically for us is that if um, if you are tested and you go and have antibodies in your system, it just means you've had it. Um, depending on the type of virus or bacteria or whatever may be causing the disease, um, you know, you may or may not be able to get it again. So what it tells me as an epidemiologist is how many people in the environment or in the population have had a specific disease um, in a given period of time. Okay. And is there any plans for those tests to be conducted here in our community? So it's kind of funny. I've been talking with Dr. Schlegel about this and we, we have a really small population and antibody testing at this point um, comes up with um, some uh, kind of erroneous results. There, there are four types of results you can get. You can get positive positive, which means you have the disease and the test shows you've had the disease. Or you can get negative negative, which means you don't have the disease and the test says you don't have the disease. But then you can also get um, results like positive negatives, where you do have the disease or have had the disease, but the test says you don't or haven't. And you can also get negative positives where you don't have it but the test says you do have it. Um, given our population size, we're not going to start doing antibody testing here right now because we get too many of those positive negatives and the negative positives. And so it really wouldn't give us an accurate description of how prevalent it is in the community. So right now we're just doing what's called PCR testing. Um, basically, they take a little sample. They crush up the you know the viruses that are in your your sample it's been collected from your nasal passage and they see if viral particles are present so that's what we're going to keep doing for now okay um can you uh speak to some of the safety measures that the tribe is putting into place in their public buildings as things are starting to reopen yeah um so that's something we've been working on in the incident command uh this week is the reopening plan uh some of the, the different safety protocols include putting up plexiglass in areas where employees are going to be interacting with the public it's pretty standard um, we're going to increase the intervals of cleaning that take place in the public buildings uh, we're also asking that uh, the public be aware that the buildings are going to be open on a uh, on a uh, a scheduled basis. You have to uh, arrange meetings um, before you can go into them. They so they they there'll be a little less freedom of access as far as you know just walking in and walking out and stuff. You'll need to contact the person you want to see beforehand. Um, and in addition to that, they're also looking at measures to for now uh, to keep the buildings at 50% capacity that they're at before the COVID outbreak. Um, we don't know 
what that's going to look like because it's going to be up to the directors how they decide what their department will do. Um, you know, it may have, you know, half the staff there in the morning and half the staff there in the afternoon. It could be, you know, one day on, one day off, or it could be like half the staff is there one week, half the staff is there the next week and stuff. So um, there'll be fewer people inside of the buildings at any given time. So those are some of the things right now. Um, we're also going to be doing more training for things like how to clean, how to use um, personal protective equipment like gloves and face masks and, and gowns if, if you need it in your position. Um, you know, training people on hand washing, how to safely remove gloves and masks and things like that. So um, there'll be training and then there'll be also physical precautions taken. So I've seen actually a lot of posts about hand sanitizer and people making their own hand sanitizer because it was pretty hard to get a hold of there for a while. So um, can, or can or should people make their own hand sanitizer? Can, can you make your own hand sanitizer? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say yes, technically you can. Um, but is it a good idea for everyone to try? Maybe not so much. Um, I know that the supply lines were a little sketchy right there. There were a lot of runs on, you know, Walmarts and places, and there, there wasn't a lot of hand sanitizer out there. Um, there seems to be more back in stock now. You still could make it if you wanted to. Um, if you do, make sure that it has at least 70% rubbing alcohol, not the type you drink. That, will, that won't do it. That won't kill the virus, um, despite what some of the commercials have said. <laughs> um, so you'll need to use a rubbing alcohol um, for that. Um, there are some recipes out there. I don't know how effective they are um, because there's not as much um, like quality control involved with it. But I guess, yeah, if, in a pinch, it is an option. Okay. So basically, if you're going to do that, just be aware that they're maybe not going to be as effective as something that you buy from right, the store. Right, right. And if you think about it, buying the supplies usually costs about as much as buying the hand sanitizer. So if, if you have the option to get it, get it first. <laughs> if you don't, go for chemistry in your, in your, in your house. Okay. Um, okay, so how easily is the coronavirus spread through food and what precautions, if any, do we need to take with our groceries? So this has been an interesting one. Um, the FDA and the Mayo Clinic have found that currently there's there hasn't been any evidence of people contracting uh, coronavirus from food itself. And that's from uh, Dr. William F. Marshall from, from the Mayo Clinic who said that. Um, on the flip side of that, though, the coronavirus virus um, it can stay on surfaces um, like plastics um, metals bottles um, and in in cases like that you know it's just like any other um, respiratory virus cold or flu that gets coughed onto one of those containers you may want to consider cleaning it before bringing it into your house you may just want to consider you know washing your hands afterwards um, I know my wife likes to quarantine things <laughs> for a few days in a closet and then bring them out because um, given time, the, the virus also becomes inactive and, you know, won't infect you that way. So that's that's her solution. Um, and so as, as far as getting it from food, um, there are already a lot of safety measures in place that prevent a lot of foodborne illnesses and stuff. And the same kind of practices apply to, to COVID itself. So, so it's more of the um, containers that would be the yeah. issue, not the food itself. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's, that's why, you know, a lot of places are offering what they call no touch delivery. Um, so 
it the food itself if you're properly cooking your food and washing your hands beforehand you probably will not get sick from covid okay um so now that uh things are starting to reopen i see a lot of talk about a second peak um for the virus can you talk about that yeah and i think this goes back to timetables um let's be really honest no one no one can predict the future you know, we have mathematical models that might suggest trends, but we don't know what the timetable is. Um, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's um, one of our leading infection experts in the country and has been working with the president's uh, COVID-19 COVID response team, you know, he originally thought we were going to have a huge second wave. Now he's saying, you know, that may not be as, as much the case because of how people have, you know, stuck with social distancing, how they've ramped up testing and, and started quarantining people they've found to have it. Um, you know, there was an imperial model out there, which was uh, one of the models originally used to, that triggered a lot of the safety precautions we put in place early on. They estimated we'd have, you know, 2 million deaths here in the U.S. alone. Um, later, they found that, you know, there was not a lot of basis for some of those numbers. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to to really predict the future. I mean, so there are, are trends that we currently are on um, that may or may not change. Um, there may be a second wave coming, but that's something we don't know. Um, and that's something that a lot of scientists have a hard time admitting. Um, <laughs> but it's true. None of us have a crystal ball in our lab. Mm -hmm. um, um, and so it may happen. Um, if it does happen, you know, that's just something we need to be aware of. I mean, COVID-19 is, is spreading into central Wisconsin now. Originally, it was kind of more on the coasts of the country, and it's now, you know, coming to the central um, states. So, you know, we just need to take precautions, wash our hands, avoid some of the large gatherings we might otherwise go to, you know, use masks if you're going to be in, in public areas with a lot of people, um, you know, and, and maybe take precautions around people that are in your immediate household or not visit some of those people that fall into those vulnerable categories, people that have, you know, immunocompromised health conditions or, you know, the elderly. So it may come, it may not. Um, either way, we are now at a point where we know what to do if it does come back. Right. Um, and so it's something that, you know, we probably shouldn't fear. Right. And uh, we can we can keep living. We know how to live with it at this point. Mm -hmm. That's a good point. Um, is there any kind of final message that you want to tell people this week? <laughs> you know, I, I just want to commend everyone on, on what they've done to, to keep the community safe. Um, the tribe's really done a great job of, uh, you know, keeping, keeping the community safe and keeping COVID to as, as minimally spread as possible. I know a lot of uh, Native communities have struggled with it. Um, but we've done a great job here, and I think everyone should should really, um, I guess you could say, give themselves a pat on the back. But they should be commended. Yeah. They should be commended and pleased with with how well they've responded in this situation. So good job, everyone, and and thank you for making our lives easier. <laughs> That's a good message to end on. So Wyoming for listening to the Menominee Indian Tribe of Wisconsin podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also listen to the podcast on menominee-nsn.com.
www.mitwife.gov under the community tab. Keep up to date by following us on Facebook at MITW Podcasts. And we are aiming to do our weekly updates with Vaughn. And we welcome any community questions you have regarding COVID-19. So please send them to us via email at podcast.mitw.org.